following episode of We Have the Facts is brought to you by Snail Mail. Do you love sending packages, but hate when a stranger comes to pick it up from your doorstep and don't trust boxes randomly placed on the street? Well, this holiday season, do I have a treat for you. Snail Mail. 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 That's right. Now you can send packages the way the federal government has always intended it. By waiting in line at the post office and getting to meet new people, go to USPS.com and locate the nearest post office near you. Spend two hours speaking to interesting strangers and friendly customer service representatives. And now, with special code, the facts, you can get a free estimate on any shipping once you've already stood in line at the postal office and gotten to the counter. This special code is definitely a real special code and not something they would do by default. So this holiday season, send your packages the old-fashioned way, with snail mail. And I'll see you at the post office. And now, on with the show! Welcome to We Have the Facts, one band story told week by week. I'm your host, Alian Latif, and today we're investigating what really happened to Burning Man Fair. I hate this. <laughs> I absolutely hate this song. It's the last song of the first record. Listen to it, and you'll really get a better idea of what the piece of shit he is. Try to not make the sad girl cry. <laughs> is the sad girl gonna cry? <laughs> Maybe. No. She's fine. By the way, audience, we're teaching you our, uh, how we make the soup. Our how we make the soup? I wouldn't give it up for anything. It's beautiful, but it will be sad, and it will have a sacrifice at the end. So, for the past six months, I've been hosting this podcast with my friend Justin. On the podcast, we discuss the discography of the band Death Cab for Cutie. Each episode, we take a dive into an EP or album... While the premise of the show is about Death Cab, the show's actually just an excuse to keep our friendship alive. Uh, well, here's us explaining it on the first episode. The reason this podcast kind of came around was because we, uh, I'm, me being Justin, is, have always been super into Death Cab for Cutie, um, love pretty much all the discography, and have praised it <laughs> ever since the middle of high school. Um, whereas my co-host Ali never had a chance to get into it, um, but has actually always, uh, seemingly wanted to get into it. Yeah. It's like one of those bands that you hear so much about and like, you hear a song, you're like, yeah, this is good. I should listen to them. And then you, you, you know, check your Spotify or whatever. And you're like, oh God, there's so many wreck. I'm good. (laughs) So, um, uh, it actually kind of dawned on us, uh, about a month ago that, uh, maybe we should kind of get a podcast going together because Ali is actually going to John Hopkins. Congratulations. Um, and, uh, I don't know. We're just kind of shooting the, shooting the shit and kind of come up with ideas of, uh, what we wanted to talk about and what possibly we would want to do a podcast on. And we're like, you know what? I mean, I'm fairly into music and, You've always said you want to get into Death Cab. Why don't we just kind of force you to get into it by talking about each record? Yeah, so pretty much this is a ploy on two fronts. Number one, for Justin to get me to listen to Death Cab finally. (laughs) And then the second ploy, which is so that I don't abandon Justin's friendship. (laughs) This is his way of trying to keep that alive. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just just a selfish motherfucker, clearly. As you can tell, 
I'm not a death cab expert, and I wasn't even a fan at the time. Full disclosure, I never really knew any of their songs. I mean, well, everyone knows this one. Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind. I'll follow you into the dark, no blinding light. Or tunnels to gates of white Just our hands clasped so tight Waiting for the hint of a spark If heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied And illuminate the nose On their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul embarks I'll follow you into the dark. But hey, it was Justin's favorite band, so we set the premise and moved on. I was the novice, and he was the expert. And we'd begin our journey there. We split up our duties, he controls the social media, I take care of everything else. Seemed fair at the time. So, every week, I respond to half a dozen emails from Death Cab fans that were either happy this show existed or angry that I didn't get their favorite song. Most emails are pretty much the same until I got this. So what does this mean? Is there going to be a cover band? Is it going to be like a Sgt. Pepper's band within a band? Like there is a second band being formed by the members of Death Cab for Cutie, and this will be their lead single? Is that what this means? Is it all just one big test? <sighs> I don't know. That's Vineet. Vineet's one of our most vocal fans. He emails every week, and we email him back. He tells us what he thought of the episode, what he thinks could be better, and what he thinks could be worse. It's usually a treat to get those emails. Only a little bit annoying when he criticizes your audio editing skills, but that's fine. Anyway, Vineet's email caught my eye. So I gave him a call to allow him to elaborate. Okay, so it came to my attention, I think, through another fan that um, there had been these, these cryptic posts on Instagram. Um, it was only a few seconds of a song, and there were several iterations. Like, I think at the time, there were maybe eight or nine different versions, but it was only a few seconds of a song. It was only the same line every time. He cuts it off at the same word every time, and then this song does not appear on the album. What happened? If for like a year, we were teased about this song, we got several versions of this song, from country to electronic to hip-hop. The song is not on the album. What happened to Dave Depper? The song Vinit's talking about here is called Burning Man Fair. On March 25th, 2017, while band members of Death Cab were practicing almost an entire year before the announcement of their latest album, new band member Dave Depper released an Instagram story where he played a snippet of a song called Burning Man Fair. This was clearly a first draft of a fun song that they were working on, but almost two days later, a completely polished and hauntingly beautiful song played. Here it is. Two, one. I met a girl with flaxen And the song cuts off there. 
The song always cuts off there. Vinit's right, there's several versions of this song online, each one with a unique style or genre. But the lyrics are always the same, and the cutoff point is always the same. We never hear any more or any less of Burning Man Fair. Back to Vinit. I think this song is special because the way they cut it off every time, Ben Gibbard says, she told me. And I just want to know, what the fuck did she tell you? What do you think we're going to find on our journey looking for what happened to Burning Man Fair? I think you're going to find a lot of tears, betrayal, and disappointment. So you think there's more to this story than we think? I think so. And also, I think a cruel sense of humor. Our investigation begins. Who is the girl with the flaxen hair? What did she say? Has Ben ever really been to Burning Man? And will we ever hear the full version of the song? What really happened to Burning Man Fair? So I decided to start my investigation in the same place where I start all of my Death Cab questions. My show co-host and friend, Justin Tachi. But that conversation didn't go as well as I expected. Here's a recording of us talking about it right before recording an episode of the show. All right, you ready to record? Yeah, let me just get... Okay, we're running. And uh, yeah, I think we're good to go. But um, before that... uh, we got an email recently, and uh, I was wondering, what do you know about Burning Man Fair? Uh, I haven't really seen that much about it, but I saw something, like a quick little fucking thing from like Dave Depper or something like that on Twitter, but I didn't really pay attention to it. We have a fan that's asking us to investigate what happened to it and why it never ended up on the album, and I, I think that would make a good, compelling episode. That sounds kind of fucking stupid. I don't really want to do that. This is like Twilight episode part two. I don't want to do that. No, no. I think there's something bigger here. I think I think we're missing like the big picture. Maybe there's something going on that we're just not seeing. I don't know, man. It sounds like you're becoming one of those Trumper uh, crazy people that are coming up with convoluted ideas. I know. I, I, I honestly, I, I, I don't think it is. I, th- there's a story here, you know? Do you feel it? I... I, I I literally don't understand where you're gra- grabbing any of this from. I mean, you might as well just say fake news. That's all. That's all. So, with Justin firmly against the whole concept of this investigation, I had to find more knowledge. So, I went to the internet. My first question was, what was different between this album and all previous albums? And one very clear thing showed up. Chris Walla. Chris Walla is a guitarist and songwriter. He plays keyboard and I think pretty much every other instrument. And he's really the Garfunkel to Ben Simon. He was with the band almost from the very beginning, and it seemed like in recent years the two drifted apart. I wondered could what happened to Burning Man Fair do with Chris, but a simple Google search really doesn't give you much there. So I needed to talk to someone who knew a little bit more than I did. I needed a professional. 
2014, Chris Walla was feeling a little remiss about his time in the band. He felt like he didn't fit in with what Ben was saying. He's been quoted as saying that he didn't really relate to what Ben was saying in his later albums, in Codes and Keys, maybe in a little bit of Narrow Stairs. Uh, and Chris had always had a problem being in the media. In when they were promoting Narrow Stairs, he was quoted as saying the album has a very bloody feel to it. And the press just ran with that for months. Like, that's just how they refer to the album. And Chris, it, I believe, always it left a bad taste in his mouth with how they misconstrued his words. That compacted with the fact that he and Ben just weren't seeing their lives eye to eye anymore. I think when they started work on Kintsugi and before the name was even Kintsugi, uh, Chris had told Ben that he didn't want to be a producer on the album, although he still wanted to be on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't express that he wanted to leave the band with yet, but it was on his mind. That was Aaron, Death Cab historian and esteemed Redditor. Uh, he had a lot to tell me about Chris and Ben and the whole band, so uh, I sat there and listened. Here's how he described their relationship from the start. Chris and Ben, other than Nick, Chris is the longest time member of the band, so they were best friends for a really long time. I mean, I would say they were best friends up until like 2013. They had a really good working relationship. Ben was the lyricist. He made all the demos, but Chris would do is he would flesh out the demos. He would add more sonic atmosphere to it. He would add a lot of weird guitar arpeggios and all sorts of things. Uh, so he was kind of, I don't even want to say Ben's right-hand man because they were kind of right-hand men to each other. You know, they just, they were a great dynamic duo. But I think maybe around 2011, 2012, when Narrow Stairs became a thing, Ben started, his his lyricism started getting a bit, uh, how do you say, Randy Newman-esque? I mean, that's he's been quoted as saying that Randy Newman was a huge influence on Narrow Stairs, which, frankly, I don't see. Uh, he's not as funny as Randy Newman is, but that's how Ben sees it. That's what he says. But I think Chris started becoming a bit disenchanted with that. Mm-hmm. Because his lyrics becoming a little bit less deep, they're becoming a little more obtuse, more vague. And before, Chris felt like he had a real connection to the lyrics that Ben was saying because he grew up with Ben. He had lived pretty much the same experience because they were together as a band for, you know, uh, going on like 15 years together. Once Ben started getting married and writing about that and maybe ha- having just different outlooks on things, they just started having a bit of a splinter. And I, they say that the split was amicable, but I feel like a little bit it was not. You know, since I already had Aaron on the line, I also asked him to set up the album for me. What was special about Thank You for Today? And was there anything I should know about the whole process of making that album? Uh, so Thank You for Today came about pretty much a couple months after the band finished their Kintsugi tour, uh, which was a two year long tour. Um, so they had about two years the band likes to do a three-year album cycle, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. But uh, I think once they got the new energy from the new guys, Dave and Zach, uh, I think they wanted to get right into it. And I think that Ben took a lot of the criticisms that Kintsugi got and wanted to fix them. I don't know how well he did that. I think they definitely entered this uh, new album with a lot fresher perspective. Like, I think... There was a time in which Ben implied that there was some baggage that came with Chris. Like, Chris always seemed to be a little bit of a holdback when it comes to expanding the sound of the band. 
So I think that's why they brought Rich Coasty in for Kintsugi, and that's why they brought him back for uh, Thank You for Today. With Thank You for Today, the new sound is very synthy, very, um, I would say, positive. There's not a lot of negativity on the album, um, at least in terms of sound. Death Cab's pretty good at the whole uh, juxtaposition of happy music with sad lyrics, but uh, I think Thank You for Today definitely makes that juxtaposition a little less obvious. I think the things that Ben like to talk about in this album is more reflective than um, angry or sad, um, which I think previous albums can be a little bit of both. I had one more question for Aaron. Had Ben ever been to Burning Man? He doesn't strike me as the Burning Man type, but he, he does strike me as a, I'll try anything that weird once, you know? You know... Maybe, maybe even Chris went to Burning Man. He seems like the kind of guy that would go to Burning Man and not tell anyone about it, you know? Now, with Aaron having set up all the moving parts, all that was left was uncovering the truth. Simple enough, one would think. So, on one side, we had Ben Gibbard, the writer, originator, creator of the band, and also the creator of the song Burning Man Fair. And on the other end, you had Chris Walla. This sort of Burning Man possibly type. He left the band on sort of amicable terms, and there's a lot of questions around him. So that's where I started my digging. I reached out to both Ben and Chris, who did not respond at all to our request for inquiries. But as far as I could tell, there wasn't any bad blood between the two. Ben and Chris just seemed to go their separate ways, and that happens with bands that doesn't imply sabotage. So, what other influencing factors could there be? I took a deep dive into some of the darker parts of the internet, and uh, I found one Redditor who wanted to speak to me. He went by the name Death Cab for Truthy. Um, this is how our conversation went. So, you wanted to tell me about Chris Walla and what he has to do with this whole thing? What? No, Chris Walla. No, he has nothing to do with this. Listen, listen up. Okay, I'm only going to say this once. Death Cab for Cutie. Ben Gibbard sings the song Burning Men Fair. In it, he says, I met a girl with flaxen hair. The girl with the flaxen hair is the title of a different song written by French composer Claude Debussy or whatever. Anyway, this French guy, he wrote another song called Claire de Lune. All right, Claire de Lune appears in the first Twilight movie. You know what appears in the second Twilight movie? Meet Me on the Equinox by, you got it, Death Cab for Cutie. So, now we have this two-Twilight film connection. You, you see where I'm going with this, right? Um, I'm afraid I don't. Well, let me clarify a little bit more. So, Twilight was a series of films released by Summit Entertainment. Summit Entertainment is a subsidiary of Lionsgate, which is a direct competitor, although a much smaller competitor, to... Warner Brothers Studio. Yeah, you get it now, right? No, no, I'm still lost. Jesus, all right. So, you got Warner Brothers Studio, which created another film series, their own film series, which were coming out about the same time, known as the Ocean's Eleven movies. And Ocean's Thirteen comes out right about when the first Twilight movie comes out, and Twilight kind of dethrones it as the new franchise. I, I don't think that... Two film series are related, really. No, 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 no. They, de they definitely are. And on Ocean's 13, you have doing composition. Zach Ray from... Death Cab for Cutie? 
Exactly. You get it now. This big studio taking down little or big studio in this giant mash fight of the Titan film industries. You know, you know, it's it's all up there. It's all the man crushing the man again. I'm I'm sorry. I I don't see the connection. Ah, fuck this shit. So at this point, I think it's safe to say that Death Cab for Truthy is a complete and total nutcase. His theory doesn't stand up at all. The Studio Wars seems like a convoluted subplot to add to this whole thing. Twilight and Ocean's Eleven aren't even close to a similar genre or franchise. The Ocean's movies had already been over or coming to a close as Twilight was just starting. There was no competition between the two. The studios have existed just fine side by side and nothing he ever said made any sense because he was and i reiterate a complete nutcase but he did bring one interesting element to this whole thing zach ray zach ray is one of the new members of death cab who replaced chris wallach and he also appeared in a few of the burning man fairer videos here's him accompanying ben on the keyboard I met a girl with flaxen hair Met her down at the Burning Man Fair She told me Zachary also appeared in a segment in my conversation with Aaron that we hadn't yet played, so let's go back to that real quick. Uh, Zach Ray is, uh, he's an incredible pianist. I mean, he... I, I guess I also learned on this tour that he's a guitarist as well. I mean, he he rips on uh, Summer Years. It's great. But if you look on, like, his past work on, I think, the website's Discogs, he's worked with a ton of artists. He's worked with Alanis Morissette. He's worked with Jane's Addiction, Macy Gray. Basically, he's one of, like, L.A.'s premier studio musicians when it comes to uh, to piano. So the very fact that he joined the band full-time is pretty surprising. It must mean that he liked the guys a lot, likes the music a lot, but he keeps to himself. There's not too much information about Zach around just because he's a very close-knit individual, which is totally fine. I mean, I feel like we don't get a lot of that in uh, the music industry. I, I'm surprised that Death Cab is what he settled with. So at this point in our investigation, enter Zach Ray. Keyboard player, composer... A man with many connections and deep ties to studios and artists. A man we know very little about. Which got me thinking. Could Zach Ray be involved in this plot? Actually? How far did this web reach? Is Zach... Is... Oh, shit, that's my phone. Hey, man, how's it going? How are you? So it's going okay. Uh, just recording the Burning Man Fair episode. Um, kind of like in the yeah. middle of, uh, I don't know, we might be cracking something big. I, I, don't, I don't know yet. Well, that's good. I mean, I hate to like call when you're right in the middle of this, but I, did, I saw something that I think you, you know, that you really should know about. What's up? Like I was, I was, I was just on Insta and like I saw someone repost an old Dave Depper, you know, a little Instagram and I think it might have a clue. 
this, this from like way back, like almost a year ago, like December, you know, twenty seventeen or something like that. I really think you should take a look. Oh, okay. Is it is it a Burning Man fair cover? Because I've seen a bunch of those so far. I it's bigger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I'll check it out right now. Okay. Look, man. See you later. <clears throat> uh, okay. Um. So. That was my friend George on the phone, and um, the clip he asked me to play was this. I just listened to it, and I'll, I'll play it for you guys. I met a girl with flaxen hair, met her down at the Burning Man Fair. She told me that... Yes, that's Ben Gibbard rapping the lyrics to Burning Man Fair. And... It kind of changes everything. I mean, maybe this is all a joke. Maybe this was all one big Ben Gibbard prank, because Death Cab wouldn't seriously consider doing a hip-hop version of a song on their album, would they? That's not their style. That's not something they've ever done before. And I'm starting to think this whole investigation is going in the wrong direction. Maybe there's nothing to investigate, because it's all a joke. I might be spiraling, and I think I need to talk to Justin again. Uh, hey, Justin? Yeah, what's up? I, I just got off the phone with George, and he was saying that, he, well, he played a clip for me, and it, it, it sounded like, like a hip-hop version of Burning Man Fair, and... Kind of now, I'm starting to think the whole thing is like a like a prank, you know? Like a Ben Gibbard like, pulled a fast one on us? Nah, it's got De Dave Depper written all over it, if it's anything. I still Wait. don't think it's anything, but... Wait, who? Dave Depper. The, the, like, the bass player? No, the guitarist. Okay. Dave Depper. Dave Depper. Dave Depper. What happened to Dave Depper? Haunted me all my life. Dave Decker. Through endless days and countless nights. Dave Decker. It was a storm when I was just a kid. Dave Decker. Strip the last cold of innocence. Dave Depper. You've haunted me all my life. You're always out of reach when I'm in pursuit. Long winded. There's a flaw in my heart's design For I keep trying to make you mine You've haunted me all my life You've haunted me all Alright, so it's been a few weeks. Um, after learning that this whole thing might be a joke, I took some time off investigating. I went to a dark place. I 
started spamming the internet. And then I went down a deep Dave Depper rabbit hole. Who is he? Why would he do this? And there's a lot of questions I needed answered by someone who knew Dave a little bit better. So after scouring the internet, one username kept popping up over and over again. Nerdy Birdie. And I tracked her down. D is a uh, Dave Depper expert, although she wouldn't identify herself as that. I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I would just say I'm a really obsessive fan that eventually um, caused Dave to take notice. And, um, and we are where we are today, basically. <laughs> she has, however... Uh, been in continuous contact with Dave. They've met several times. He's dedicated a song to her at Bumpershoot. I think it's fair to say that they know each other well. So so I asked Dee to give me a background on Dave's sense of humor, just so I can wrap my head around what we're dealing with right now. Can you tell me anything about Dave's sense of humor? He is a humorous person. <laughs> he, he, he jokes around a lot. He's... Um, He's very much like a dad. He tells a lot of dad jokes all the time. In fact, I feel like his Twitter, if I remember correctly, his Twitter profile for a while was something to the effect of, oh, come for the music tweets, stay for the dad jokes. Uh, because, <laughs> because that's just kind of the kind of person he is. He likes to joke around a lot. Dee was a wealth of knowledge about Dave. She shared funny stories about him that range from light ribbing to fans or fellow bandmates to bigger pranks and shenanigans, which made me realize that this is kind of who Dave is, and maybe Burning Man Fair isn't even the worst thing he's ever done. Dee shared this story about the beginning of Dave Depper's career. So back, I believe it's when Dave first moved to Portland in his early 20s, he bought in an organ, I believe it was, some instrument off of some guy on on craigslist and that guy happened to actually be the either the founder or the owner of a record label in in portland and he also played in a band and when he found out that dave played guitar he was like oh do you play bass and dave who didn't play bass was like yeah i totally play bass and it kind of just went on from there two weeks later he was playing bass with their band he like bought a bass and learned in a couple weeks and then he that was the first band he was in I do not remember what band that was but um, he started off playing bass in a band in um, Portland even though he didn't really know how to play bass but we are where we are now so if Dave Depper's entire career was all built on a lie or at least it started off that way would it be surprising to believe that he lied to us now that this could have all just been a stunt to either promote the album or just haze his fan base. I decided to just cut the bullshit and ask you the real question I wanted to ask. So do you think that there's a possibility that Burning Man Fair is all a joke and we've all been duped? Um, it, it is definitely a joke. The whole thing is a joke. Now, what would you say if someone were to argue that maybe that you're covering up for Dave? No, it's it's a joke. It's okay. a, I, I don't understand how anyone could think it wasn't a joke. It's hilarious. Um, and I love it. And it makes me laugh every time. 
but it's very honestly just a joke. Now, at this point, it was unclear if Dee truly believed that this was all a joke or she was taking Dave Depper's side. But I decided that the only true way to find out Dave's intentions is to ask him himself. He's the only part of the puzzle that's left, and I needed to get in contact with Dave Depper. I sent out a bunch of tweets. We tried to reach him via Instagram and email, Reddit. Uh, it seemed like whichever path we went by, nothing happened, which was surprising because during my interview with Dee, she did mention this. He's a big social media whore. He lo- if, if you hadn't noticed, he loves social media. Um, he's always on Twitter. I feel like Instagram is the thing that he's most active on. And then Twitter. I think one of the funniest things about Dave is that at least back in 2015, 2016 on the Death Cab tours, after certain shows, he would search um, either the Death Cab or the DCFC tags mm-hmm. and then um, retweet people who had said shitty things about their shows like, oh, wow, Death Cab sucks, and then he'd retweet it. <laughs> or, like, he'd send them a reply, and then the people would either be, like, completely backpedaling, or they'd ignore it. But usually it would be, like, them backpedaling. Like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't really mean that. I actually really like your band. <laughs> and then would also, anytime people would tweet things like, wow, that, that, that new guitarist, wow, what a hot dad he is, he would also retweet that or like it, and then the people would flip the fuck out. Okay. Which I think is funny. That's another thing about his sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. He's a big troll. Dave he's is a, a troll. big troll. He is a huge troll. Yeah. So do you think this whole thing could be like just a trolling, like, uh, like you know, he knows that some fans really want to hear this song now? At, at this point, the reason that, one of the reasons why it cuts off where it does every time, like you don't hear what she said in Burning Man Fair, um, is because he's a troll and he wants to keep people waiting for it. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever hear the full song. So at this point, I guess I just believed we were all being trolled, that this was the end of the mystery. And I wouldn't hear anything back from Dave, and it would be time to email Vanit telling him that we weren't successful. And then something weird happened. On October 18th, Dave Depper liked the first Instagram comment I made asking him what happened to Burning Man Fair. Two days later... He dropped this. October 20th on Dave Depper's Instagram. The caption reads, LP10? Question mark. So what does this all mean? Will we ever actually get the chance to hear the entirety of Burning Man Fair? Is there more to this mystery that we can uncover? Was this all a joke? Were big studio or complicated personalities involved in this clash? It's really hard to tell at this point. We know Death Cab's a band that loves to play with its audience. We know Dave Depper is a notorious prankster. What we don't know is who the girl with the flaxen hair is or what she said and why she always gets silenced. I can't answer any of these questions right now. What I can tell you is that we'll keep digging. We'll keep searching for... We'll keep searching for the truth. We'll keep talking to the people that matter. And if you ever want to find out what happened to Burning Man Fair, you should stick along to this podcast. Listen week by week, because we 
have the facts. I've got a hunger twisting my stomach into knots that my tongue is tied off. My brain's repeating. If you've got an impulse, let it out. But they never make it past my Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for everyone who helped make this episode possible. Everyone on the Death Cab subreddit, Vineet, D, Aaron, you guys are all amazing. And Death Cab for Truthies, uh, Tony, my sister Reem for help with the intro. My good friend George Andrews for being my sounding board during this entire process. My brother Salam for giving me notes on the episode. Death Cab for Cutie and of course Dave Depper for having an amazing sense of humor about all of this. Um, Sarah Koenig and Ira Glass and everyone from Serial for letting us rip them off. I know we didn't ask for permission, but like, I'm assuming you guys are chill. Regardless about how you felt about season two of Serial, season three is amazing. Season one was amazing. Go back and listen to both of those. They're awesome and we love them. My friends Rachel and Erica who were in the intro. And of course, Justin Tachi, my co-host, my death cab expert. Without you, there would be no soup to make who in reality was super supportive of making this episode and let me go on this insane, weird journey. I love you, buddy. This one's for you. You can start by asking if we're ready to record. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to record? Do you have your uh, albums and songs ranked yet? Yeah, yeah. Let me get the... Oh, but before we go, um, what do you know about Burning Man Fair? Don't bring that up. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> One of our listeners brought it up in an email, and I, I wanted to do like a... Like a, I read the emails too. Don't worry. No, I think this is too much. All right. Do we not want it to be? <laughs> we can redo it. I just figured it's funny. <laughs> I think though we should – you're not – I don't want you to be the evil guy in the story though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just normal then? Yeah. I, I think you should just think it's dumb. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I can do that. <laughs> I just thought that that was, that was a, a different turn that could be fine. I, I thought about doing that, but but I, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I'm, I'm leaving that to like, you know, it's like the ethereal Ben Gibbard. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right.